0: In the year uh, 1899, there was a German archaeologist called Robert Koldivi, And he went from Berlin to Iraq. Uh, and for, uh, because he had a conviction that uh, uh, there are ruins of the Babylonian Empire there. So he started digging. And he found some things. And then he continued digging for 15 years. For 15 years, this German man was digging away in Iraq with 200 other people. And uh, what you see now there, if you Google up uh, the Babylonian uh, Empire's ruined remains, you'll see what uh, Robert Coltivy was able to excavate. In fact, uh, a lot of the things he took back to Berlin and they are there. There is a very famous gate called the Star Gate, which is blue in color and and, uh, has got um, uh, animal imprints on it. It's supposed to be a marvel of uh, architecture. So uh, the Germans have kept it there in their museum called Pergamon in Berlin. So uh, for those of you who uh, would be traveling to Berlin, perhaps, Brother John, you can go and have a look uh, at this gate. For the rest of us, we can see it on Google. (laughs) Armchair traveling. Um, But when he was uh, digging, there was one large room that they found. It was about 169 feet long. 55 feet wide and they saw something very unique that this room had plaster on its walls and that was very different for them because uh, uh, from whatever they knew about um, whatever uh, you know methods of building was used at that time plaster wasn't one of them so this was something new that they discovered and why do I bring that up right now because all of this uh, this archaeologist Robert has. Uh, He's recorded it in his book called The Excavations at Babylon. Why do I bring it up? Because if you see in Daniel chapter 5 and verse verse 5, suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall. See, the Bible is true. It is historically accurate. It is scientifically verifiable, it is historically verifiable. The only thing is that science and history are usually playing catch-up. As and when things get discovered, as and when things get understood, people realize that what is already revealed in the Bible is so accurate. right? So when we get into God's word, maybe do it with a lot of confidence, knowing that this is not myth, it might sound so Uh, so bizarre, so different from what our daily experiences are. But may we read God's word with a lot of conviction and with a lot of confidence that what we are reading is true. It is what has happened. Um, And as we have been studying the book of Daniel, we've read through some really, really uh, bizarre happenings, you know, things which don't happen in our normal day-to-day life today. Um, And the last that we saw in chapter 4 was how Daniel... Uh, Spoke to King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was um, uh, who was who had become so proud about all of his achievements, and uh, and and God warned him what will happen if he doesn't change his ways, and Daniel warned him as a spokesperson of God, but King Nebuchadnezzar did not change, and we know what happened to him. Uh, Seven years he became just like a animal, and he was uh, uh, he was going around uh, in the fields eating grass like animals. But eventually, uh, he turned his heart back towards God. He repented. And we see towards the end of chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar's beautiful, uh, almost like a psalm of David, of praising this great God of heaven that he's now understood about and acknowledged. But then when we move to chapter 5 and verse 1, we suddenly see that there's the name of another king here, King Belshazzar. And then we wonder, uh, who is this? How did this king suddenly come in? To the picture. You know, uh, after King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar reigned for about 43 years and then he died. And then his son, Amel Marduk, uh, came onto the throne. He was able to reign only for two years because he was assassinated by his brother in law. And then his brother in law, Nerig Lissar, he came into the throne and he was there reigning for four years over Babylon. And when he died, his son, Labashi Marduk, came onto the throne. For nine months, Labashi Marduk reigned, but he was beaten to death by a group of conspirators. And the conspirators put Nabonidus as their leader. So Nabonidus, who was appointed by the conspirators as the next king, ruled for 17 years. And Nabonidus wasn't from a royal family. So he was not really related to Nebuchadnezzar. And perhaps that played on his mind. So he married into the family so that he'll have some royal connection. And Belshazzar, therefore, was... Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, who now, because of this marriage, became um, Nabonidus' son, adopted son through the marriage, and it is at that time that all of this is happening. Belshazzar was appointed by Nabonidus to be co-king. So you have this father who is not from the royal family, and his adopted son who is from the royal family, who is Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, who are both co-heirs reigning over two different parts of the Babylonian empire, which we know at that time was pretty much the whole of the world. And it's at this time that these incidents happen. And Cyrus, king of Medes and Persia, he was going around conquering the world. He meets Nabonidas and his army outside Babylon. He defeats them, destroys them, and uh, took Nabonidus as captive. So just before Chapter 5 and verse 1, Nabonidus, the co-king together with Belshazzar has been taken captive and his son, adopted son Belshazzar is there in Babylon in the fortified city of Babylon trying to protect himself and the rest of uh, whatever is left of the kingdom in that fortified city of Babylon. But interesting you know um, a lot of times uh, the way we see in uh, movies this is very common that you'll see one scene and after that suddenly you'll see one slate which says you know or 20 years later so that's how this is chapter 4 and the last verse and then chapter 5 verse 1 There is about 25 30 years which has gone by in the middle and then you know you kind of cut to uh, Belshazzar who is king there now in this background if you were to just think that all of these kings have come and gone and yet one person who remains on the scene is daniel you know there are all of these pagan kings who are coming and going pagan kings who are fighting against each other killing each other yet for some reason they keep daniel as their chief as their prime minister you know even opposing parties in that sense keeping that same person there we see god's hand working in the life of Daniel so he is a constant all through when all of these different um, you know variations are happening in the political uh, scene in Babylon so Belshazzar his father uh, Nabonidus has been captured he knows that and he is now you know protecting himself together with the rest of his family and the rest of his uh, uh, his rulers he's protecting himself in this fortified city of Babylon and what is he doing? You would imagine that if someone were attacking you, you would be getting ready. You would be getting ready to fight. You would imagine that perhaps you would be thinking of strategies. You would be putting your minds together, your best people together. You would be just waiting, you know, as soon as someone is about to attack you to defend yourself or attack back. But here Belshazzar together with all his nobles is giving a great banquet for thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. And we see a very strange scene, you know, outside people are about to uh, attack and inside there is a feast for a thousand people. When I think about that is because they felt they have nothing to fear because they felt that no one can really uh, come over or attack us because we are in this fortified city of Babylon. There is no way that anyone can do anything to us. It's said about Babylon that this fortified area of Babylon was about 15 square miles. It had walls which were 87 feet thick. You know, that's about uh, uh, about 5 to 7 stories breadth and about 350 feet high, which is about 35 story tall building. You know, if you were to just imagine standing in front of a 35 story high building, that's about the height of the Babylonian walls and they had Towers, about 100 towers which were 450 feet high and 100 massive bronze gates. So that was the Babylonian uh, citadel, the, the fortified city where uh, where Belshazzar together with all of his nobles is there and they feel so protected, so safe, even though his father and the rest of the army has been captured, they feel that they're quite fine there. And Daniel chapter 5 is this eyewitness account of what happens um, Uh, to Belshazzar and the rest of the Babylonian empire. And everything unfolds just like Daniel had uh, prophesied in that first dream of Nebuchadnezzar that he had uh, interpreted where the head of gold and then to the rest of the body. And this is that movement that happens from the head to the rest of the body. Uh, The beautiful thing is that in the middle of all of this, Daniel, the prime minister, is seen very distinct and different from everyone else who is there. Because he did not compromise on his faith. He did not allow the culture and society to influence him. He did not allow peer pressure to influence him or the desire to rise uh, in the courts of the king. He didn't let all of that influence him. And we see him appear at every single instant separate and distinct from everyone else. He's not clubbed together, even by the even by the people there. Uh, he's not clubbed together with the rest of the magicians, sorcerers, etc. Although by now he's their leader, he's been put the leader about all above all the wise men of Babylon. But uh, he's never spoken about in the same breath, even by the people of of those times. They always bring him to the scene where nothing else works out, and he comes in as separate because he had set himself apart for God, and therefore we see how God sets himself sets Daniel above everyone else. You know, something for us to really think about. If you and I were to set ourselves apart, God would definitely set us above. A lot of times we pursue this whole thing of trying to be, you know, part of everything else that is going around us and trying to succeed within that, trying to be seen as stars within that. God is saying, no, you set yourself apart. Ecclesia. Ecclesia or in Hindi Kaleesia, or in English church, set apart. God expects us to be set apart. And we see that in the life of Daniel, a person who set himself apart, and therefore God sets him above everyone else. Set apart as God's man for the perfect time. Every single instance that Daniel walks in, it's as if God has just set the scene right and ready for him to uh, show God's glory. And that's beautiful about Daniel, that he attributes everything to God. Uh, so from verse 1 to 4, when we see, we just read this description of a crazy uh, drunken party. There are kings and nobles and, uh, and they're with their wives and with their concubines and they're drinking, they're merrymaking uh, and they're desecrating the uh, temple vessels that Nebuchadnezzar had captured, but definitely Nebuchadnezzar had kept it aside. Belshazzar, his grandson, brings all of them out and he desecrates those articles from god's temple are uh, literally mocking God um, and it wasn't something that they weren't aware of because later on Daniel calls that out that act out very very specifically and says that you have challenged yourself against God by doing an act like this, and there was idolatry and there is blasphemy so so that's the kind of scene that we see from verse one to verse four you know um, a, a description of a of a really wild um, uh, you know, a crazy drunken party of of people who have completely lost control over their senses. Uh, Was it because they were uninformed? Was it because they did not know what is right and what is wrong? Was it because they did not know about the God of Israel? The kings of those times definitely knew history because they were the ones who recorded history. They were the ones who put it down for others, uh, for posterity. So Belshazzar definitely knew uh, what who the God of Israel was and what that God expects. He, he also definitely knew about what had happened in the life of his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, because his mother, uh, in, in some translations it says um, uh, 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 the queen, but in a lot of places you will see subtext which says that uh, the queen mother. So his mother reminds him about what all had ha- happened and about this God and about Daniel. And uh, Belshazzar remembers all of that and he recollects that and he, when he meets Daniel, he's speaking to Daniel about all of those things. So definitely Belshazzar was not ignorant. He knew, he and his people knew exactly who God was and what God expected from him and when someone doesn't follow God, then what happens? He knew of those consequences as well. But there, we see a willful rejection from the side of Belshazzar in spite of knowing everything, still rejecting this God. And uh, (coughs) he would have definitely also read Nebuchadnezzar's letter that Nebuchadnezzar had sent out uh, to the entire empire where Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges who the true and living God is. Um, But uh, we see that Belshazzar willfully rejects uh, the God of Israel, his standards of holiness, and he is um, almost, um, almost challenging God, almost challenging Jehovah. Um, and God takes him up for his challenge, because the Bible says that uh, we will be judged according to what has been given to us. God is never going to judge us basis something that He has not already revealed to us. Belshazzar knew about God and basis what he knew, God challenges him, bases what he knew, God uh, judges him. Uh, we read that in Luke chapter 12, verse 47, that to those whom little has been given, little will be expected. To those whom more has been given, more will be ex- uh, expected. And as we sit here, I think we should just take a moment and think about all that God has revealed to us about Himself, about His standards, about what He expects from our lives, and then think of um, think of the measure with which He uh, sees us and how He expects us to live. I think it's a, um, it, it's a very sobering thought for each of us that if God has given us much, he expects accordingly from us. Um, and not just that, every human has been given this God consciousness. We read that in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 that God has revealed himself in creation so that no man is without excuse. Here, Belshazzar was given so much more knowledge but even someone who has not really heard about uh, Yahweh or about the Lord Jesus Christ, Bible says that God has revealed himself to every man in all of creation. We get these questions a lot of times in our mind. What about those living in tribal areas who have never heard of Jesus, who will never get a chance to hear about Jesus? The Bible says that God is just and he has revealed himself to all of humanity. Basis what God had revealed himself to Belshazzar. uh, We see... God judging Belshazzar and and something for us to think about as well and we see God's judgment coming suddenly look at how verse 5 starts suddenly so in the middle of all of this uh drunken uh you know party that is happening there we see in verse 5 suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared you know there's this suddenness to God's uh action to God's wrath which comes upon uh which comes upon even us when we, uh, when we stray away from, from him uh, willfully, knowingly, you know, thinking that we are safe in our, uh, in our citadels, we are safe, no one else knows what is going on. Uh, there, there will be this sudden uh, judgment from the Lord. Um, so let's be careful about, uh, about how God acts and not just imagine if nothing has happened thus far, that nothing will happen in the future. So in the middle of all of this, suddenly when the finger appears, we see that the drinking, the singing, the feasting revelry, it just stopped suddenly. And, uh, and there is deadly silence. Look at verse 6. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave away. A lot of us have uh, experienced stage, stage fright. I remember uh, one uncle... Um, uh, who used to be there in our assembly in Delhi, whenever he would stand, you could literally actually see his knees knocking together. Uh, but uh, praise be to God, he would still stand. He would still stand. Um, but what is written here is not that kind of nervousness. This is terror. This is terror. Their faces, which, are, which would have been, you know, a while back, flush red with wine, are suddenly turned pale. And their knees are knocking together. They don't know what to do. And he calls all of his uh, wise men, and none of them are able to answer, Uh, none of them are able to interpret what is written there. We don't know what kind of language that was written in. Uh, Perhaps it was language that could have been understood by everyone, but God just blinded their eyes, or it was perhaps language that only uh, Daniel could have understood. But we see that uh, none of those wise people are able to actually interpret or understand that. And that's this beautiful scenario where which is set for Daniel to enter in and then to explain to the king uh, what really all of that means. Um, Before we go ahead, I just want to take a pause and for us to think about how Belshazzar and all of his people were feeling so safe in that citadel, continuing in their sin and in their revelry. A lot of times there are things in our life which we continue doing, which we know are not pleasing to God, because for some reason we feel protected, we feel protected either because of the fact that we do it when no one is around. We feel protected by passwords. We feel protected by uh, by lockers, locker keys. I don't know. I mean, what do we feel protected by? I don't really know. But uh, there is there is no high wall, you know. There is no wall which is high enough for God not to be able to enter in. This, the other side of it is that when that happens and when it happens in a way that God has to judge it 's not just God who knows but everyone gets to know so I think it 's a moment for us to just pause if if there is anything that we have you know uh, used to to cover our our sins around and we are feeling protected around those things maybe it's it 's time to just take a pause and just to think and to repent and bring that before God because uh, uh, God will perhaps just suddenly do something and and that won't be good for us, and it'll be something which will be public. so may the Lord help us to uh, make those uh, choices of repentance right now before it 's too late. Uh, <clears throat> we see that daniel 's testimony is intact through all of this time, right and I said that there are so many years, you know, multiple decades which have passed by by now, perhaps uh, over fifty years, Daniel has been serving various kings. And in all of this, Daniel's testimony has been intact. Uh, Just look at the words that people use for him. The spirit, verse 11. um, There is a man in your kingdom. You know, they're just talking about one man. There is just one man in your kingdom who is like this. Uh, Because otherwise they would have to say, I don't know, take a name. I don't know, there are so many people like this. No, there is just one man in the entire Babylonian kingdom uh, who has the spirit of the holy God in him. What a beautiful uh, testimony of of Daniel's life and how he uh, lived in front of um, in front of his colleagues, in front of the people who saw him day in and day out. Um, and the king tries to offer a lot of things to Daniel. Uh, tells him that you know you will get uh, gold and 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 scarlet and verse um, <coughs> verse sixteen. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple. And have a gold chain placed around your neck and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. You know, typical things that the world goes after, that the world thinks is prosperity. You know, fancy clothes, a lot of jewelry or a lot of money in the bank and uh, position. You know, these are the three things that uh, the king also offers to uh, Daniel. When he says that you'll be third, what he's actually saying is that there is Nabonidus. There is me and after us it will be you. So he's saying that second to none in this kingdom is the position that I'm going to give you. But we see that Daniel has all through never pursued any of those things. He's always pursued only kingdom interests. He's always pursued what in the New Testament is called uh, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And uh, uh, the Lord gave him the rest. And the Lord uh, may not have chosen to also in this case, the Lord chose to give him the rest. He did not pursue it. The Lord gave him all of that. Uh, so may may the Lord help us that as we think about different decisions in our lives, just to think about what is it that is driving those decisions? What is it that is driving our choices of uh, of studies, of career, of which place we ought to live in, uh, of what we ought to buy? In all of that, what really is the priority that we are keeping in our mind? Do we have God's kingdom interests in our mind? Uh, Do we seek that first in all of these choices? Or is seeking God a matter of Sunday morning for us? Uh, Something that each of us can think about. If we pursue God daily in all of our choices, then he will give us the rest. (coughs) Um, And we see that Daniel, in the middle of all of this, had this courage to state what was the bitter truth. And we see very beautifully how... uh, the way he speaks to Nebuchadnezzar is so different from the way he speaks to Belshazzar. I see the wisdom of this man, uh, when he knew that here is someone who he is warning up ahead of the wrong that he is going to do, He's so gentle with him. And now when he is interacting with a man who uh, is not willing to uh, admit his faults who is willingly going against god it's not because of ignorance but knowingly willingly going against god we see uh, what sharp words uh, daniel uses with uh, with the king um, with the king Nabonidiz. he's not really worried about what the king will do to him uh, he is he's very straight and and uh, and straight to the cut he's speaking about and we see we see that in a lot of god's people Uh, Throughout the Bible, we see that uh, how Samuel, when he was interacting with Saul, there were times when he was very gentle because he was warning Saul of what uh, was to come. But when Saul, in spite of all of God's warnings, did not uh, follow and willfully was going against God, we see the sharp words that that Samuel uses with him. Uh, We see that with uh, Prophet Nathan, when Prophet Nathan meets David after David commits adultery. We see that uh, with John the Baptist, when John the Baptist was speaking to Herod, uh, and, and we see that even in the Lord Jesus Christ, the way the Lord Jesus Christ interacted with those that He was teaching and uh, and and those that He was um, um, uh, He was uh, uh, kind of uh, um, giving a, a heads up to, saying that okay, don't do this, don't do that. Versus uh, the ones that uh, were living hypocritical lives, uh, the Lord had very different words uh, against them. Um, and Daniel speaks about three areas that Belshazzar, uh, that Belshazzar uh, uh, displeases the Lord. Uh, shall we look at those three and uh, it could be something that we can introspect in our own lives. And that's why I think it's very important for us to really think, are we really taking ourselves up against God? Are we challenging God? Are we rebelling against God? Because that's when God will, uh, will have to weigh us. Uh, but for people who admit and acknowledge that there is nothing that we can do to uh, to take ourselves up against God, God forgives and He does not weigh us in the same manner. And the third Perez says, your kingdom is divided. He did not honor God. He he felt that uh, you know uh, that he held his life and his uh, empire in his own hands, but. Uh, uh, but God tells him that your kingdom is divided because I am sovereign. I am the one who reigns. I am the one who decides uh, who has what kind of kingdom. And he, uh, his kingdom, gets divided. And we see that um, uh, immediately afterwards, as soon as this happens, um, uh, Daniel has is given that purple and the gold chain, and he's given that position. Uh, but we know how it ends. All of this was of no use. Uh, because someone is coming and invading. What use is, uh, what use is fancy clothes and you know, jewelry and, uh, and, and this position when someone else has come and invaded and taken over everything else? So in a normal scenario, all of the promises that Belshazzar would have made would have been meaningless for any other person. But in the case of Daniel, God is there and God still keeps him at the place even after uh, another kingdom comes over. We see that Daniel's position is not lowered. In fact, it is uh, taken even further up higher. Um, and it, uh, uh, this is not recorded uh, as history in the Bible, but uh, when you look at extra-biblical historical sources, uh, the historian Herodotus he has described how uh, how Cyrus and the entire uh, Medo-Persian empire, uh, the army, how they come and attack and how they take over this uh, massive citadel which people had imagined that no one can attack. So the river Euphrates was going through this, uh, uh, this big uh, citadel of Babylon because the way Nebuchadnezzar had constructed it was so that there is enough water that stays within the city all the time. So he had built the city in a way that the river flows through it. And uh, uh, Cyrus, uh, he commands his, uh, his army to build a dam and to stop that water flow. And as that water flow stops, over a couple of days, it becomes dry and slushy. And uh, the Medo-Persian army, they went under, uh, under the, uh, the, the big walls that were there of the Babylonian kingdom. And uh, when they enter, there is revelry and there is drunkenness and and there is nothing that those people can do. In fact, it is said by the same historian that not even one spear was thrown for Babylon to fall. That is the kind of uh, uh, end that came to people or to a king who did not humble himself, who set himself up against God, rebelled against God and did not honor God as sovereign over everything else. God has numbered the days Uh, And the Bible speaks about how we ought to number our days, you know, not wait for God to do that, Uh, not wait for God to remind us about the brevity of life. But we keep reminding ourselves and therefore live life accordingly, live life in a way that we keep reminding ourselves that our days are numbered. How am I living? It's a question that we ought to ask ourselves. Uh, Weighed on the scales and found wanting but the Bible says in the New Testament, in Second Corinthians 13, 5, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 4, that we ought to examine ourselves, that we ought to weigh ourselves. May the Lord help us to have that kind of an attitude. And Perez, uh, uh, your kingdom is divided, but that beautiful prayer of Jabez where he says, that Lord, expand my territory. May, they, may that be a prayer, that Lord, I want to impact lives for you. May you expand my sphere of influence over others not because I want to build a kingdom of my own but because I want to expand my sphere of influence over others that you have placed around me shall we just bow down our heads as we close this time of meditation just think back on (coughs) some of the important truths that we learn from this passage may the Lord help each of us to set ourselves apart it's not easy because we are still living in the world yet not of the world how do we do that it's a constant daily choice may the Lord help us that as we wake up each morning we would commit our lives before the Lord and, and ask of the Lord that Lord even as I get into the bus, get into the cab and head towards my college, my Office, Lord, as I go about doing things in the kitchen Lord, I want to remind myself that I am set apart Lord, and if I live like that then you will set me above I don't need to run after the things that everyone else is running after help me to be set apart help us to be ecclesia the ones who are called out the ones who are different the ones who are set apart and so beautiful to see that how god rewards someone who stays consistent in that commitment towards him in being set apart set different from everything else that was influencing from the kind of pressures that were on that on that young boy daniel and we see that throughout his life throughout his young teenage years as well as when he is old he stands on he holds on to all that he would have learned during his young days and yet, we see, even for us parents, an important reminder Nebuchadnezzar, who changed his heart, yet that did not flow through to his grandson. So important for us to just every day pray for our children and pray for the generations that are to come. And pray that although we know it's not in our might to pull them towards God, but to be able to point them towards God. To be able to, through our lives and through our words, keep pointing our children towards God with a prayer that God would attract them towards Him because the Bible says that's what only the Father can do. May that be our prayer in our lives. May we be humble before God, not set ourselves up against Him and may we recognize His sovereignty in our lives, numbering our days, weighing ourselves, evaluating ourselves and our walk with the Lord And asking of the Lord to expand our territory so that we can be of use for Him. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for this beautiful morning. Thank you that we could come together and worship you. Lord, although we do not see you, Lord, but we're able to worship you in spirit and in truth, and we want to thank you for that. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, which has given us real examples of people who have lived so differently in the middle of such tough circumstances. Help us, O Lord, to learn these lessons and to live accordingly in the coming week, one step at a time. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.